This is the Vorpal Network. This episode of The Tome Show is brought to you by Continue Magazine, a quarterly magazine for gamers of all types and listeners like you. Thanks for using the Tome's Amazon store. Hi, I'm Steve Kenson of Green Running Publishing. You're listening to The Tome Show. Welcome to The Tome, a D&D news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley. In this episode, we're going to become cyborg dragons as we discuss using digital tools at your table, and we're going to include some of the ones that uh, we use. Joining us in this episode is Michael, the online DM. Welcome back. Thank you. Good to be back. This makes sense to uh, talk about digital tools with uh, the guy who calls himself the online DM, huh? I figured I had to be here. Yeah. <laughs> Well, before we get into all of that, we want to talk about news. Um, so we're going to start off with going through the latest in D&D Next uh, articles and what they've been talking about. Uh, we're going to start with the blog section. Uh, and There's the, an article called The Advantage of Rolling Dice, which just basically talked about uh, giving some advice on when to use advantage and, when, when, and disadvantage and when not to use it and that kind of stuff, um, which we kind of talked to Mike Morris about in a previous episode. So I've, I kind of feel like we've covered that, but if anybody has anything else to add to that, uh, now's your chance to chime in. No, I think it's a cool mechanic. I'm glad they're talking about it. Yeah, and I wonder how much of that cool mechanic is going to feel less cool in a couple of years. Because then, <laughs> then it won't be new and shiny, you know? That could be. We'll see. Um, then the next article was about is, was called Reacting to the Reaction, which sort of talks about the action economy of D&Next, the way they're thinking about it right now, and that there are essentially three actions. You get – during your, your, your uh, round? No, not turn. Is it turn? Yes. Okay, during your turn, <laughs> you get a move action and an action. Which you know typically is going to be an attack or whatever. It's it's the fourth edition equivalent to a standard, right? Um, and then also during the round you get a reaction, one reaction. You don't know multiple uh, immediate interrupts and reactions. No, mul- you know, no immediate interrupt over here, but an opportunity attack over there. You get exactly one reaction every round, and you get to you have to figure out what you're going to use it for. And there's no minors in in D&D Next, in the action economy that they're looking at. Thoughts on that? Well, I, I think that it's nice in that you won't have to deal with um, all the interrupts that can sometimes be a bit of a hassle and slow combat down in 4th edition. You know, they've they've talked a lot about, and people who've played the game, uh, D&D Next, have talked a lot about the, the fact that combat is quick compared to 4th edition, especially in D&D Next. And I think that if you had lots of options for out-of-turn actions, both for bad guys and for your PCs, that's one of the things that tends to slow the game down, both because it's you know more actions in a round and because people are always having to say, wait, wait, stop, let me think, I think I have something, uh, no, wait, I can't use that. You know, mm-hmm. the, the thinking process slows it down. So I think limiting that is a good idea. Yeah, and I think now that it's, it's out and ta- being talked about, it seems like the obvious compromise. You know, you, we want to be able to allow you to do some of these cool things out of your turn because they're fun and cool. Uh, but we don't want it to go too far out of bounds, so we're going to let you only let you do it once. Right. Um, it does. It is a pretty far departure from from the last two editions. I mean, um, yeah. this is more of a compromise between second and third edition than it is anything else. 
Although fourth edition has a lot of the the immediate, third edition had all the opportunity attacks and, and sort of introduced all of that. And this takes that concept and takes steps at one back, one step back, further back. I am not talking well tonight. <laughs> Have they said anything about how this limit on reaction type things? Will interact with opportunity attacks. I mean, will that be you only get one of those per round as well? An opportunity attack, as I understand it, is a reaction. Okay, so that'll be you only get one. Right. Interesting. Yeah. The the one I'm interested in is are some of the pa- uh, not powers, but things the characters can do. Uh, allow if if you drop someone to zero, you can go after another creature. Mm. Um. So I wonder how those are going to work. And then if you add on top of that the, the advantage system with uh, rolling two dice. Mm-hmm. Could be uh, interesting after a while. Yeah, and I, and I guess I don't know how well I'm going to like or dislike this until I start seeing some of the, the other modules that they're talking about coming out at the same time as the, the core setting or core mm-hmm. system. You know, because I'm interested in seeing the tactical combat and the narrative combat modules um, that are going to bring in some of the things that I'm used to seeing from like 4th edition. Right. You know? And seeing how that plays with with the one reaction thing and, and no miners, I, I on one I, I kind of like miners, but one of the things they talked about is we wanted to they wanted to sort of cut the fat from from the action economy because if you have four different actions you can take, people would look for four different things to do and take a lot of time sort of hemming and hawing about it. Um, that hasn't been necessarily my experience. Um, usually when we get to the end of somebody's turn and they haven't used their minor action, I, I, as the DM say, did you want to do anything with your minor? And their response is, you know, something like I do a halfling jig and then we move on. And then, you know, we, that sort of became a running joke for one of our characters that he, he was doing halfling jigs <laughs> all over the place. That's cool if your players can do that, but I, I definitely have run games for players who, when you ask them that question, which, which I do as well, you want to do anything with their minor action? They say, um, let me think. Um, and, and sometimes I know their character well, and I know they don't actually have any minor actions, but that doesn't stop them from, you know, checking all their different powers just to be sure because they mm-hmm. don't want to miss something. So that is an issue for some players. Sure. Yeah. And that – some of the stuff I was talking about actually brings us into the next um, art blog article, which was modularity and the combat systems. They talked about one of the optional rules or some of the optional rules and modules they're they're looking at and thinking about and working on. This one specifically dealt with was it the what's it called narrative the narrative the narrative combat mm-hmm. module yeah and and there and basically it was it allows you to take a penalty but then gain uh, some sort of uh, additional damage or something like that uh, so like a you take out like a minus two to attack and when you hit somebody you can knock them back right I forget the exact details but yeah yeah and, and I guess. W- I don't know that we necessarily have enough information. Like, okay, I, I get the concept, but like, that's not something that would be available to just everybody to do, right? You'd have to have a power or a feat or a maneuver or something that allows you to do that. I, I would think. Uh, I'm not sure. I think this is a way of pulling out some of the advanced uh, combat maneuver type things oh. without without having to go into a whole power system, huh? Yeah, that's 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 how I felt about it. I don't know if that's exactly that, that could what be. It, it almost feels a little more indie gameish, right? Where you're just sort of given, just tell me what you want to do, and and here's some mechanics to sort of tell you how you can sort of make that happen. Right. So you could instead of just going up and and hit, I hit it with my sword and I rolled a, I rolled a seventeen and did this much damage or whatever. It can be I want to do this maneuver and and do this and trip him and knock him over and you know that kind of. Stuff. So you could actually have some rules to adjudicate that. 
Yeah. So it looks like knockdown is a negative 5 or negative 10, depending on the number of legs of the creature. And increased damage <laughs> is a negative 2. Yeah. Uh, which is cool. And, and I, th- I think the optional modules are a good place to make things a little more complicated. Mm-hmm. Like, like the, making it vary that much depending on number of legs and things like that. Because you don't have to add it into your game if you don't want to. Right. Of course, that's that's true of every rule in every edition, right? You don't have to add anything into your game if you don't want it to or allow it in your game if you don't want to. But but having that that title optional on it gives people a little more ownership, I think. Well, and it groups similar things together. So it's a lot easier to say, you know, we're just not going to use tactical narrative uh, because those are too complex for our, our table. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Rather than picking and choosing individual, I will let you do this combat maneuver, but not this one. And... Mm-hmm. Uh, in other news, stuff that came up not on the blog but on the the front page, if you will, there is a new survey that just came out today that they're asking people to fill out. Not a uh, playtest specific one, I don't think. Um, I haven't actually taken it yet. Have, have you taken it yet, Michael? Uh, yeah, I took it, and it's, it's a it's a quick one. It seems to be very, I guess, demographic in part, and just like what is your gaming experience? You know, what editions of D and D have you played? What other games do you play? Um, you know, what have you bought any non book D&D products before, uh, things like that, you know, and also stuff about, you know, your age and, and gender. Right on. So people should check that out and fill it out if there's time by the time this comes out. Uh, and if not, hey, there was a survey a while ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, latest Legends and Lore article dealt with magic items um, and the idea of making them less common, a little more mysterious and, and special and important. Um giving tools to the DMs to, to tailor the magic items to their own story or campaign, um, that it's not an assumed part of any character. It's not built into the math like it was in 4th edition. Um, I did find it interesting that, they, that they're that they talking about uh, magic items topping out at plus 3. I, I assume that has something to do with sort of the flattened math that they're talking about to make monsters more relevant longer and all that kind of stuff. I'll yeah, that's, that's the impression I get too. And, and they did say that if you was anything beyond a plus three, maybe it's some kind of unique artifact type thing. But that should be the extreme exception, right? Although that does uh, start to move away from people's sense of nostalgia for Dungeons and Dragons, right? Every edition has gone up to at least plus five. Well, I think it's a good change, though. I know a lot of folks have talked about, you know, fourth edition magic items don't seem that special. And uh, oh, it's just a math thing, so you have to keep keep pace with the, the you know the pluses the pluses treadmill for your attacks and defenses. So yeah. I think that a lot of people will be happy with the idea of not needing the pluses, and I think it's just hard for them to figure out a way to get those things that go up to plus five without getting into the place where you say, well, I'm going to have to dev- design adventures so that a party of 15th level characters that doesn't have any plus five items, they only have plus one items, it's going to be just fine. You know, you do start get to, getting to a point where you have to make it part of the math, otherwise it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The uh, Dragon's Eye View article was about cover design and how, you know, some of the things they're thinking about as they designed the covers for the new new editions. Any I thought that, that was really interesting, yeah, just because he talked a lot in there about how, you know, media is evolving and uh, books in particular, you don't, you're going to get them a lot of times in, in ebook form or in PDF form. And, and what does that do to the cover? Um, that really hit home with me because I just recently started reading books on, on an iPad that, that I got recently. And 
it's a great experience. I want to consume more books that way. And so I'm glad they're thinking about that sort of thing, not just from a what is our publication model, which, of course, they haven't said much about yet. But from a design perspective, it at least tells you they're having these discussions inside the company. And, and that's that's good. And does that mean that we should assume that uh, D&D Next will be available electronically? I don't know that we can get to the point where we assume it. <laughs> we, can but hope. we can hope. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. Uh, there was also a playtest update article um, dealing with some of the things they got out of the first round of playtesting and the surveys that people took uh, after that round of, of playtesting. Uh, gave them some areas to focus on and to look at, like uh, combat options, fighter options, because the fighter was boring, uh, how to adjudicate surprise, critical hits didn't seem exciting enough, how to deal with skills a little bit, and some of the things they're looking at as they go into the next playtest round. Yeah. Yeah, some of the interesting things there, uh, if I remember correctly, this is where they talked about the fact that it sounds like the next playtest is going to be late in the summer. Is that right? The next you know, new set of rules for us to check out? I, I have no idea. Um, my guess has always been that we were going to see something else this month in July. Um, but that's entirely a guess. I, have, I don't have any information. All right. I might have the dates a little bit confused. I know that uh, Mike Merles also participated in and asked me anything on Reddit at one point, and, and they, there was a whole bunch of questions that got handled there too. But um, I, I thought that I had read that he'd come out saying that, well, it sounds like the next real new meaty stuff to test is going to be later than we originally thought it might be. That's which... true. Although there, I think there's going to be some, some little things coming out along, along as well. Okay. Well, that'll be fun. But yeah, I mean, for me, I've been doing playtesting with D&D Next, and I, I did four sessions, um, and, you know, did, wrote up my thoughts about it, blogged about it and everything, and mm-hmm. got to the point where I'm like, all right, I'm done with that. That was fun. You know, I'll be interested to see what comes next, and I'll start testing it. But I don't feel the, the urge to, to test anymore with the rules as we have them. Sure. Yeah. Cool. So uh, we're going to move on to some tome news now, unless there's anything else. Actually, I did think of one, not D&D Next, but D&D topic worth mentioning okay they this month in july they are the the re-release of the first edition books is out mm-hmm. uh, for people who are interested in that and they also announced that they are going to be reprinting the 3.5 core books right and that's that's spawned a lot of conversation um it seems uh, somebody in fact i saw an article uh today that was talking about how they did a bunch of uh Looked at Google data, right? And some of their data showed that 3.5 has the highest amount of interest based on searches through Google of any edition, including Pathfinder, which right. I which I found interesting. Or maybe Pathfinder has just recently passed over 3.5. It, it just passed 3.5, yeah. I think. Yeah, but both of them were significantly higher than the fourth edition, right? According to that analysis, yeah. Plus, I hope it's also indicative of. Um, a shift in mentality from Wizards of the Coast of saying, you know, maybe we don't continue to support older editions, but providing things, you know, why not make money off of products we, we own? So. Right. People want to give us money. Why should we stop them from doing so? Particularly when they do a special edition type print right. or, or, or just make it obvious that it's not whatever the current edition is. Because uh-huh. that was one of the fears was that it would uh, confuse. Sure. New players, but I, I'm not sure that's entirely true. I'm just hoping that, that this is a mentality shift that goes along with when they finally figure out how to do ebooks, yeah. being, being able to purchase their you know older products in ebook format. I think would be an easy revenue source for them. Yeah, and not only an easy revenue source for them, but help with a lot of the freelance writers. 
because one of the problems I have trying to, to write things is I don't have the huge library that mm-hmm. somebody like Matt James has. And uh, so writing anything that references older D&D uh, works or lore is is much more difficult for me. Sure. Yeah, and I just th- thought I mentioned that uh, the site you're talking about, that's uh, awesomedice.com that, that did that blog post about the, the Google stats. Yeah. And, it, and it was linked in a newsletter I got today from Cobalt Quarterly. Nice. So the the big tone – well, there's a few big tone news, I guess, items. One of them is we're considering a change to our D&D Next coverage. Now, uh, now that we've talked about it for uh, right. 15 minutes. Yes. So part of it is uh, 15 minutes or so on top of the other things that we, we like to cover uh, kind of makes the show run longer. Mm-hmm. Uh, on top of it, there's there's a lot of information. There's only two of us. And we were thinking that it might be a way we might be able to get other listeners to provide D&D Next coverage uh, information for us, potentially. So we're, that was one idea we were going to throw out there. So Do I you guess, have more yeah. info? I guess what, the the idea that we're sort of considering is that instead of doing D&D Next coverage within the body of these episodes, doing a once-a-month, 30-minute episode just discussing the month's D&D Next news and having a rotate – you know, it would be me and a rotating, uh, you know, bunch of, of guests and hosts who, who want to come in and talk about things and give more people an opportunity to come out onto the show and participate. So we're curious what you guys think about it. Give us some information. What you think about that idea of pulling it, pulling it out of the normal episodes and making it making D and D next its own monthly episode, um, at least until D and D next is out, and we don't have to to, to talk about what it's, what it's going to be anymore. And then our next episode's episode two hundred. I'll do something cool for it. It'll be fun. Yeah, I understand. It's it's lots and lots of work. <laughs> so it's a bit of work. Tracy's, Tracy's been telling me about all the work she has to do, but she hasn't told me anything about what it is. I'm excited. Yep. And then we're also doing some live podcast recordings at Gen Con, so you should all be there. And that's Friday at 6. Right, and right before the Innies. If you, right if, you, the if you want to go to the Innies, you can still come to, to our uh, D&D advice show live from or live at Gen Con. Um, right before the Innies at 6 o'clock. It's right across the street, so it should be easy to get there. And then we're also doing Gamer to Gamer Live is on Saturday at 6, and Behind the DM Screen Live is at Saturday at 7. Yeah, I, I was uh, mocking the, the ticket sales a little bit on Twitter the other day because Behind the DM Screen Live has sold twice as many tickets as Gamer to Gamer, and Gamer to Gamer has Chris Perkins on it. So I took that to mean that uh, Randall and Mike and myself are twice the DM that Chris Perkins are. (laughs) (laughs) Or is. Wow. I think I have an email to write. We also have upcoming episodes to tell you guys about. um, Some other uh, changes along the way as well. Um, This month's book club, July's book club, is Skeen of Shadows. Um... Although we've also decided that for this book club anyway, we're going to test it out and see how it goes. We're going to split the book into two parts. And so we're actually going to do one book every two months if, if we end up liking this format. Um, and so in July, we're going to read through chapter 12. We're going to get together. We're going to talk about the book through chapter 12, be able to get a little bit more in-depth conversation. And then in August, we'll finish the book and then have the author on and, and all that. Um, so we're going to see how that goes. So Skeen of Shadows, chapter 12 through July, chapter 13 to the end in August. 
It's also worth noting that August is Super Gen Con month. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you may get through the first week or so of, of, of August and think, wow, where'd the Tome Show go? Uh, there's no episodes coming out. What's going on? Um, that is not accidental because we're not going to do a bunch of recordings leading up to Gen Con because at Gen Con, I'm going to be recording like four hours a day. Uh, and that's all going to go out to you and we're going to try to get it out as quickly as possible and as much of it as possible so that you can listen to Gen Con seminars while Gen Con is going on. I, I mean, I guarantee we will have, you know, the first set of, of seminars out before the end of, of the convention. Um, so you guys will be able to listen to it like you're, like you're there for those of you who can't go or for those of you who are there and enjoying the games instead of going to the seminars, we'll have that for you. And if you are there, you should totally, you know, say hi to me because I will be in the Watsi seminar room pretty much all day, every day, up front with my laptop and microphone. I'll be easy to recognize. Yep. And, and Tracy's going to join me this year. She's actually going to hang out with me for part of these. I think so, yeah. <laughs> That'll be awesome. I know that Tracy was at least there for one with you last year because I was there too. And so she, she hung out for at least one of them. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I can oftentimes convince her to come to a couple of them that she's extra interested in. And, and yeah. the, the one that I always got to hang out with all my friends with was the, the preview of the next you know, six months of products with, that, they always, um, that they always did, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, which they're not doing this year. Right. There's not going to be that. You know? But instead they're doing a, a keynote, a Gen Con key, Wizard of the Coast keynote, which I don't know if I'll be able to record because it's in the big, the big room. So I, it feels strange going up, to, on top of, uh, up onto their stage and putting my microphone on their podium. I don't think that would fly. All right, so we're going to, going to talk about digital tools here in just a moment. But first, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsor, Continue Magazine. It is a quarterly magazine. They just put out issue number two. Uh, it's all about gaming, video games, board games, role-playing games. If you play games, Continue Magazine is written for you. I suggest you go and check out the article in issue number two all about the rogue. Talking about rogues in you know RPGs, but also talking about rogues in video games and, and the way it's depicted and used. The concept of the rogue is used all throughout the, the gaming media. For entire generations of people now, gaming is as much a part of the fabric of their reality as television, films, books, music, and any other form of entertainment medium. Continue is a magazine for the gaming community, the global gaming community. Not just video and computer games, but board games, card games, role-playing games, alternate reality games, and anything that falls into the category of humans engaging to have fun. A celebration of gaming. Everything we love about this mad entertainment sector. Continue Magazine at www.continuemag.com. And we're back. Uh, Right now we're going to talk a little bit about some advice for using digital tools, and then we'll discuss which ones we use. So uh, what, what advice does anybody have about using digital tools? I think di- using digital tools can be a little bit tricky um, because it invites distractions to your table. You know, if you're, if you're encouraging people to use, you know, their tablet for a character sheet or whatever, for example, or a laptop at the table or whatever, um, then they also have those things to pull up, you know, words with friends in the middle of, of combat when it's not their turn, you know. And then when it is their turn, suddenly they don't know exactly what they're going to do and all that. So you do have to be a little bit careful and set some, set some expectations, I think, um, 
by making it known, you know, we still want you to be present. We still want to use all of our good DM sort of uh, tools that we have in our toolbox to to keep them engaged so that they're not as likely to become distracted and, and go off and play those games and do other things. Right. Yeah, I think the rule of thumb is you want to use digital tools that will help engagement at the table and not, you know, separate people and then put them into their own little worlds. Mm-hmm. Right. But Easier said than done. Sometimes. I was say, but so many of those tools can be so many of those tools can be both, right? If I bring my iPad to the table, I can totally have my character sheet on it, or I could be playing games, or watching YouTube, or watching YouTube. I've, I've had people do that. They they'll pull it out. They'll pull out their phone and oh, you have to listen to this song. This song is perfect for what's going on right now. It's like, well, <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, so, yeah. I, I think sometimes you want to allow us some amount of that because it's fun. But sure. when it starts getting to be too much, it gets to be a... Absolutely. Well, and I've got one player who's um, who's sort of excused, right? He gets a bit of a pass because he's a really sort of ADHD person. Um, so if he walks away from the table when it's not his turn and is getting at his phone or whatever, okay, fine. Um, but the other guy who who's his roommate who sits next to him shouldn't need to do that. <laughs> You know, playing Fruit Ninja during during the big fight. And you were going to say something, Michael? Uh, not really. I, I was just piggybacking up what you guys were saying. I, I agree that it is – It's there's a, a role for, for some of that, but uh, everything in moderation. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I will say that when it comes to using digital tools in a way that isn't going to cause problems at the table with people being distracted, it does mean that everything you do away from the table, all the prep stuff, whether that's DM prep or player prep, you know, using character builder and that kind of thing, that's all great. I mean, if if you're not doing it at the table, digital tools aren't really going to be distracting you from anything. And if they make it easier or better for you to prepare what you need to prepare, excellent. Mm -hmm. Great. One thing I I will point out, is that provision is great, particularly if you're do, playing a home game. Uh, if if you're going to do convention DMing for the first time, don't plan on being able to use digital tools for it. Because uh, a lot of times there's no access to outlets and you might not have time to charge your uh, laptop or netbook or iPad during the day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as somebody who relies heavily on that stuff, and I'll talk more about it later... I will say that um, you can do that. You can use it at a convention, but you have to talk to the organizers in detail in well in advance <laughs> to make yeah. sure that anything you want to do with that is going to work out. Um, and I have at local conventions. I've, I've used oh, my, my digital stuff, and they. but that's because I've given them plenty of notice that, yes, I need access to electrical outlets whenever I'm running a game. Mm-hmm. Right. Things like Gen Con, you, there's just no hope for you. <laughs> yeah, that probably wouldn't work. <laughs> Bring your own portable generator. That's yeah. right. I mean, you can do it if you have batteries and everything. Right, right. But you're not going to likely, you know, bring a projector or whatever. Right. All right, then. Should we get into the specific tools that each one of us uses and how we use them and what advice we have on how to use them and all that kind of stuff? Let's do it. Sure. All right. We're going to start with Tracy. Tracy, what Great. do you use? Okay. So my tools are actually pretty generic and they're more for uh, the prep work. Uh, one of the big ones I use is Dropbox, particularly with uh, some of the play testing and stuff I do, I can put put my docs documents in a folder. It has a passcode on it, but I have it on my iPad or my laptop or my iPhone even. So that's a big one for me. And and any any adventure I run or anything that has PDFs, 
I can uh, easily make sure I have in multiple places. So if I have a free minute during lunch, I can look up the information. The other big one I use is, uh, oh, sorry. No, I was just agreeing. Yeah. Uh, other big one I use is Pinterest. And well, I use... I'm curious about this because Pinterest is not usually something I think about when I think about gaming. Right. So the great thing about Pinterest is that I have in my little toolbar in my browser uh, a pin this button. And so when I look through Google Images or any deviant art or whatever for um, inspiration for my game or art that I want to show the players, I just hit the pin this button and it puts it in an album for me so I can have an album for whatever game I'm, I'm working on. Mm-hmm. And then I have those images later. And I, not only that, it makes a link back to where I originally found it. Very cool. Uh, and then the other ones for notes would just be Evernote in Obsidian Portal. I haven't used Obsidian Portal as much recently, uh, but I find Evernote is pretty cool because I again I have it on my all of my devices and it syncs automatically. Mm-hmm. Very cool. And and any extra suggestions on how to use them effectively, or or is that all pretty self-explanatory? I think it's uh, pretty explanatory. The reason I use Evernote sometimes over. Uh, Google Docs, because Google Docs would do a similar sort of thing through the browser, Mm -hmm. is that, uh, one, it's harder to use on my iPad, and then the other issues, I've found Google Docs sometimes adds formatting in that makes it hard to import it into Word later Mm. as plain text. I've I've found Google Docs sometimes uh, upsets formatting. Right on. So yours is mostly about prep and, and just general stuff about how to take notes about the game, how to find inspiration and, and save that, uh, and how to get your documents around that you need to, to read to prepare for your game and whatever. Right. So is there a lot of digital tools you've used at the table? Um, I'm forgetting the name of it. Now, I did for a while use a uh, basically a combat tracker, but it also imported the, the monster stats and would take care and keep track of each uh, hit points and everything. But I found eventually I just went back to index cards because it was easier sure. than trying to use the mouse during combat and try to apply the conditions mm-hmm. through through the UI. Mm-hmm. Was that uh, D&D 4E Combat Manager? I think that was it. Yeah, and that was a popular one that I tried out a little bit too. Sounds like it anyway from your description. Yeah. Yeah, I had one for the Mac and then I had one for the PC too that was different that I used. Um, but... 40, 40 ongoing conditions can be hard to, to put into those. And mm-hmm. I found the one I was using had a, had some bugs in it where it wouldn't automatically take off the condition after the next turn, even though it said, like, end of next turn. Uh, so it was annoying to try to also remember it after I had already entered it in anyway. Right on. I've got one that I use, and I'll talk a little bit more about it when we get down to it. Um, and I'll talk about sort of how I handle some of that. But. Right. Good. Then next on our list is Michael. Let's talk about the tools that you use and how you use them. Sure. So as the online DM, as you might expect, I I definitely use a lot of digital tools. Uh, I'll start with a big one, which is MapTool. A lot of users are probably already familiar with MapTool, but for those who aren't, it's a free program. It's written in Java. You can get it and some other useful tools at rptools.net. And uh, MapTool is basically a, a virtual tabletop program. And it's designed to let people uh, in different places, you know, from around the country or around the world, all connect and see the same map. They'll all have their own tokens for their characters. They can all see the monster tokens. And, uh, and there's a chat function in there, a built-in dice roller. 
and uh, fog of war so that the DM can cover up parts of the map and then reveal them as they go. There's also some cool lighting functions that I personally don't use very much. I've played with them some, and it's just a little too much for my liking. But for people who want to set up walls and have people with light sources that get automatically revealed as they walk around a corner, you know, you can do that in Map Tool. Uh, and it has a very robust macro language for people who want to automate stuff, um, like clicking a button for a particular monster attack and having it automatically roll the attack result and the damage. And, and some of them get very sophisticated, and you pick a target and apply the hit or miss and conditions and all that stuff. Um, I don't want to scare people off of Map Tool though, because you don't have to do any of that. If you just want it to be a shared tabletop with tokens that you can drag around to show position and just draw on it like you would a whiteboard and have a chat function in there and even you know use the dice roller in a very simple way, you can totally do that. Uh, I'm somewhere in between the two. So if you're going to use it for the relatively simple functionality, um, how is it better than the virtual table? So MapTool is – I haven't used a virtual table that much, to be fair. I, I tested it a fair amount when it first came out. And I've kept up with some of the updates that they've, they've come out with, mainly that you can now import monsters directly from the monster builder and import your PCs directly from the character builder, which are killer apps. That's, that's really cool, and you know that's, that's a really big reason to, to go with the virtual table. The reason that I haven't, um, are, there's a couple of them. The big one is that you can use your own images right now in Map Tool that you can't do that in virtual table, uh, or the, the, whatever the DDI virtual tabletop is called. Um, and... I think that that's a big deal for me. Like, I want to be able to bring in my own maps um, that I've prepared outside if need be. I want to be able to bring in my own images for for PCs and monsters. And that's something that I'm guessing they'll probably eventually do on the virtual table. But but as I understand it, they haven't yet. Uh, The other one is I, I, I personally do use a fair amount of the macro programming stuff in MapTool. And so there's a lot of things that I can make look really good and make very convenient. Um, I can set up monsters very quickly within map tool. Uh, and, and frankly, if I'm creating a monster on the fly these days, I don't tend to go into the monster builder anymore. I, I tend to go into map tool and I'll say, you know, I have a little program that I can say, great, here's a monster. I'm going to make him level six. I want him to be a skirmisher and, uh, and here, here's his stats, here's his defenses. And I can tweak him a little bit if I want him to be a little more reflexy or a little more fortitude or whatever and then create powers on the fly where the math is already there. I just have to say whether I want it to be you know, high, medium, low damage, um, you know, multiple targets or not, that kind of thing. So I can do all that already in Map Tool, and I don't have to go outside to the Monster Builder and then import it. Mm-hmm. So uh, for somebody who's just getting started, though, who doesn't want to learn Map Tool, I think the virtual table is uh, you know, a fairly fairly low learning curve, especially for using the, the other DDI tools already. So it's a good option as well. Right on. What else do you use? So uh, connected with MapTool, there's a program also at rptools.net called Token Tool, which is a very simple little program. All it is is uh, a way you can drag an image onto a little window in Token Tool and put a a border around it. And they have lots of borders that come already in it, or you can create your own. Um, I just like all of my tokens to be little circles that have a, a very thin gray border around them. And this is an easy way where I can, you know, drag it in there, zoom into the level I want, and uh, poof, I have a token now that I can use in Map Tool. Uh, and those can be convenient for other places too. I mean, sometimes if you just want to, you know, take a piece of a picture for, for some other purpose, um, or even making physical tokens, some people do that. Uh, token Tool is a convenient one there. Um, I'll also mention that with Map Tool, I don't just use it for online games. Um, 
when I'm running games in person, uh, I run games with Map Tool as well. And this is a decision I made when I first started DMing um, about two years ago now, in 2010. Uh, I was just getting started. I ran one session uh, at the local store with, you know, a vinyl dry erase mat. Actually, I'm sorry, no, for that I printed out paper mats, uh, paper maps that I'd created in Map Tool. And, and had physical tokens that had, were made from metal washers that had these you know, images glued onto them um, following a tutorial from uh, Newbie DM. And that worked okay, but I realized that you know if I'm going to be a DM, I'm going to need to use monster minis at some point, and those can get expensive if you want a lot of them. Or alternatively, I can buy a projector, which is a big one-time cost, but that I never need to buy a monster mini because the projector, I'll be using map tool and projecting monsters onto the table, the, the images that I talked about. Um, so that's what I did. I took the plunge a couple of years ago. I built up a portable projector rig and every game I've run since then, whether it's at home, at the local store, at conventions, at a friend's house, uh, I just tote the projector rig along with me and my laptop and uh, hook it up and go. So not for everybody, but uh, for people who, who like that approach, and since I like Map Tool so much anyway for the online games, it's a it's a pretty cool toy, and it gets a lot of uh, a lot of positive attention at conventions for sure. So that sounds like a lot of baggage. It, it's something that uh, I, I don't have to make multiple trips to the car or anything. Fortunately, I have uh, one of those little rollerboard suitcases that has the projector itself, a sandbag, and uh, the cables that I need. And I put my, my little laptop bag on top of that. I pull that in one hand. And then in my other hand, I have the actual rig, which is basically a piece of wood that sits on the ground, a five-foot-long piece of pipe with an elbow at the top, and then a little piece of wood at the top that has a, a projector mount, the kind of thing you'd use to mount a projector to the ceiling on it. So I carry that in one hand, that whole rig, just grabbing the metal pipe. And then in my other hand, I, uh, I pull the, the suitcase behind me. And, uh, yeah, I walk through the convention site, get to my table, set it all up. More power to you. Yeah, <laughs> not for everybody, <laughs> but it's been fun for me. Yeah. So that's a, di a digital tool that I use. Uh, some other tools, you know, I do definitely use a character builder for my own characters. It's it's a lot of fun. Um, a, I use a, a, a character builder or the, the character, character builder. builder. <laughs> sorry, the, the DDI character builder. Sorry, um, you know, fantastic tool. I think that very a, a lot of fourth edition players already know all about it. So I'm not going to go into oh, it yeah. here. I mean, the, but the character builder alone is worth the price of the. Uh, the DDI subscription, I think. Absolutely. That's the, that's the amount of time app. it saves. And now they've added in, in the last, what, several months, they've added in a lot of the functionality to allow you to do more customization. And, you know, if mm -hmm. I, I want to um, offer my, my players an, a bonus feat for something or whatever, you can actually do that now. And Yeah. So. And it does all the math for you. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, great program. Can't recommend it enough. I know some people complain about the fact that the character builder is so ingrained in the fourth edition experience that – it's hard to play without it, which I agree. I mean, I've made characters by hand, and I'd much rather do it in the character builder. Yeah, but that's and, I, mean, I don't because I've done that too. I mean, I've made I've made a fourth edition character by hand, and it took hours. With the character builder, it takes a lot less time. I think it's less yeah. about fourth edition though has it that ingrained so much as we've just gotten used to it. Because when I made third edition characters, it would take me hours, and I just didn't have the option of a character builder. You know. <laughs> Well, I know one complaint that some folks have is that it's really hard to use any third-party content um, yes. because it doesn't integrate with the builder. So yeah. if you're playing a custom adventure path, like I've been running the, the Zeitgeist adventure path from EN World, and they have custom themes and things like that. Mm -hmm. and, and they actually tried to take that into account. They said, we know that it's not in the character builder, so we've provided some cards that you can print out that'll be kind of like a, a character builder power card, and you have to write in your numbers manually on them uh, for, your, for your theme powers. So... It's a bit of a barrier, but it's worth it. I'm sorry. The character builder is just a great time saver. Mm -hmm. So other tools. Um, there's a program called Power Tool, which is 
power and then the number two OOL. That is a really cool little tool. I, I don't know exactly how to describe it, but it's it's uh, it's really designed for fourth edition. And what you get is uh, the ability to create cards. Um, and those cards can be like a, a monster uh, stat block card. It could be an item card if you're creating like a custom magic item. Um, there's some functionality in there to, to do things like tracking powers and, and usage of them, although I've never really played with that. Uh, the main thing I use it for is whenever I... Whenever I create a new monster, I'll usually just use Map Tool, and that's fine for my own games. But if I want to share that with anybody, like put a new monster on my blog, or I've put together several adventures in, in PDF that I've shared on my blog, I want to have nicely formatted monster cards. And I found that the Power Tool ones are a lot easier to use and modify than what I got out of the Monster Builder. Mm. And, uh, and you know it's easy to, to re-level them and things like that. They look really good. And, uh, and same goes for the magic item cards, too. So I think the power tool, it's not so much a, a tool for everybody to use, but if you're going to do any adventure writing in particular, that's what I found it useful for, for, for sharing those things. So just taking, taking your information and formatting it yeah. so, so that it looks yeah. good. That's cool. Yeah. It, it, I mean, it also integrates with the compendium, too. So if you just like the, the format of those things, it makes it easy to copy and paste them into a Word document, for instance, if you're creating your own adventure notes for prep work. Um, I don't bother with that because I'm doing map tool, but in the days when I did, you know, like create a Word document sure. that says here's all the monsters you're going to fight, that's a nice way to just pull them out of compendium, tweak them a little bit if you want to, and then plop them in. Well, I've just found it to be more convenient than the monster builder. Where that would be useful to me was, like, I, I, I created a this thing in my campaign where uh, players would sort of get this boon and I custom designed them to, to set the setting and the story that we were telling and, and individualize them to each character. So I designed them all and I formatted the, you know, I was sitting in, in my word processing document with tables and just formatting and changing colors and doing all this stuff, trying to get as close to a power card as I could so that I could, <laughs> so that I could print it off cut it out and hand them their, their new power or whatever. Yep. But with Power Tool, I could have just taken that information and plugged it in and, and had them format it for me. Exactly. Okay. Yep. That's the kind of thing they do. So I just it's, And it's another free tool. You know, if you have a DDI subscription, it will integrate with your account. Um, if not, you can still use it to you know, make your own stuff. Mm -hmm. um, so, and the last tool that I'll mention that I use um, on the rare occasions that I'm a player instead of a DM, um, I mentioned that I've you know, got a tablet now that I've been enjoying, and I found that a good, uh, a, a good character sheet program that's, that's also free is called iPlay4E. Which is different from i4e, which I, I don't I don't have that, despite the fact that I won a tome show drawing for it months ago before I had an iPad. <laughs> <laughs> Silly me, but, uh, but no, I play 4e is uh, is a really cool one and just lets you take your character builder file, assume you use the character builder, upload it to this website where you can have a free account, and then at the table you can very conveniently track which powers you've used, uh, how many hit points you have left. If you want to do condition tracking, you can you can do that there too. Um, and, you know, I've just found it to be very convenient. And so far, I guess I'm not enough of an iPad power user that I'm flipping back and forth between that and games or anything. I've left it on my character sheet the whole time, you know, just shutting off the screen when I'm not using it to save the battery. Now, but uh, I like it better than the physical, you're physical character sheet. You're talking about the website, not the app. Uh, right, that's correct. The website, yes. Uh, they might have an app as well, which maybe you'll talk about. I haven't played with that yet. I've just gone to the website and just use it in my browser on my on my tablet. Yeah, which is actually, I think, one of the better experiences. I did that for a long time. Um, the, the trouble you have with that is if you don't have a really good, stable internet connection. <laughs> sure. Then suddenly you don't have a character. It's like, I don't know what I do. <laughs> right, and, that would I be mean, a big the, problem. The website's actually built fairly well, because th that happened to me several times. Um, 
I lose a connection and suddenly I don't have my character sheet anymore. But it's it's designed well enough in whatever code they used. I think somebody told me uh, they used some HTML5 in there and whatever. That when I lost the internet connection, there was a lot of my character that was actually still available. I just couldn't access the the bits from the compendium. Yeah. You know? Um, and so it, it continues to work fairly well. The iPlay, cool. the iPlay 4E uh, app is $5.00. Uh, and essentially does the exact same thing that the website does, except that you can um, import your your characters from I, the iPlay 4E website, and then you've got them locally stored. So if you lose the internet connection, you're still good to go. And otherwise, it works very similarly, um, formatted very similarly, looks very similar, still pulls in all the compendium information and all that kind of stuff. It, it's it's decently d- decently slick. That's very cool. Yeah. You know, the only other electronic tool that I'll mention that I think it should be pretty obvious, um, we're using it right now to record this podcast, is Skype. You know, it's free. Everybody knows about it. But when I run my online games, people talk about different ways you can go about um, you know, doing the whole communication thing. Some people just do text chat. Um, but me, just from the very beginning, I've always used Skype for a conference call. And, uh, you know, occasionally there have been some people with, with you know, bad internet connections, but that's been the exception. Um, and we've had people in, you know, London and Japan connecting to my game in Colorado, and uh, it's worked great. So it really brings us together as a table to be able to talk to one another. Which is actually good advice going back to one of your first tools, which is Map Tool, right? If you're going to use Map Tool, combine, yep. it, combine it with Skype, and now you've got voice chat, and you can actually probably work a lot more quickly and efficiently. That's all I've ever done. Chat. Yeah, I've never done the Map Tool text-only game. And right. what's interesting about it, the mechanics of using digital tools like this to play online, uh, I've heard some groups will oftentimes uh, speak in character uh, when they're talking on Skype, and then if they have any out-of-character comments, they'll type them into Map Tool. Huh. Interestingly, my Friday night group has often done the opposite, where if they really want to get in character and have conversations, they'll do that in the text chat, and then the Skype conversation will be more for like, hey, hang on, i got to go you know, put a pizza in the oven or you know, whatever, that, that kind of out-of-character thing, yeah. um, which, it, it's, it, which is kind of fun because at the end of that, I'll often have a great uh, – I can save the chat log from Map Tool and, and, and go back and later and look at the, the fun in-character conversations people have had very cool now do you have any advice on how to do it in a use the the online play format in a timely manner um i i've played a map tool game once and i felt like it moved about at a half speed in a game that's already criticized for being slow Hmm. well i gotta say i haven't experienced that you know i've run a lot of games on map tool and i've run a lot of games uh, in person um and I, i feel like they both move as briskly as fourth edition moves, which is to say, you know, sometimes combat does take a while. Um, we're still talking over Skype, like I said, so we're not slowing the game down to to discuss what's going on. Um, you know, I'm going to type out, I'm going to attack the kobold. Uh, I just say, hey, I'm attacking the kobold, and then you click a button. Um, I think that a big part of making it go quickly is preparation ahead of time. Uh, and this is a negative to the whole map tool approach. You know, I, as the DM, do a ton of prep before I get to the game, and, and that means that all the maps are pre-drawn, all the monsters are, are pre-programmed. Um, you know, any fog of war type things that I want to set up are, are set up properly. Uh, if I want to do any lighting or anything like that. Mm-hmm. And when that means when we get to the table, though, um, if the, I, I say, okay, the Cobalt's turn now. They're going to attack. I click on the one token and drag it over here and click a little button that says spear, and it rolls the attack there. And people are keeping track of their damage as I'm moving on to the next one. And it's, I mean, it moves as fast as it does at the table, in part because... There's no dice math. You know, Map Tool handles all the dice math for yeah. you. Um, so, you know, I, I haven't had that problem, but I think that's because a lot of the preparation takes place ahead of time, and we're still doing the voice chat. Sure. So you're you're 
I mean, your total amount of time spent with any given game session might actually be a lot more, but you're putting it on the front end instead of when the players are there, you're doing it in the prep. Exactly. Okay. Uh, and now I will say one nice thing about that approach is, I guess it could be a bad thing, but if you DM for enough groups, it's a good thing, which is it's really easy for me to run the same adventure again because once I've set it up, I can run it on the fly. You know, mm-hmm. I don't. I, I mean, I'll have to you know check my notes about the plot points and everything. But it's not like I'm going to have to go back to the monsters and uh, and reacquaint myself with their abilities unless there's something really unique. Um, it's it's great. I mean, the maps are already done. The monsters are already there. I don't have to redraw them if I had them on a you know a dry erase mat or anything like that or a wet erase mat. So uh, so I'll often run the same adventure for for different groups. Yeah, I'm hoping. And I know this is kind of future thing that whatever they decide to do with D and D next. That if third-party publishers wanted to put out their own version to put in the map tools, that that would be easier. Because I've been feeling it's hard under the current rules. Yeah, I think that um, that's probably true with with the uh, the gaming license, the, the GSL as it is. I think that there's limits to what a third-party person can do. Um, I, I will say, like for me, I, I've done enough map tool adventures that I've just put up there on my blog. Um, that you know, I, I think that oftentimes it's my own adventures with my own monsters and so on, so I'm fine. Um, but I have tried to, as a service to the community, create um, you know map tool files for adventures that I've run that are well known. Like you know, Madness of Gardmore Abbey, for instance, is one that um, th- that I'm still kind of stalled on running halfway through for a small group, but uh, but I've prepped everything. Mm-hmm. So you know, people who want that, you can find resources like that on on sites like mine and on the RP Tools forums and on other people's websites where people have put together, hey, here's a map tool file that has every Everything you need for Adventure X. Hold on. I'm taking some quick notes. RPTools.what? Uh, dot net. Okay. That's the site that has all the map tool stuff. They have forums and, and okay. things like that. Cool. All right, then getting into my tools and what I use. Um, when I was a player, I actually spent quite a bit of time testing out a lot of different things. I wrote an article about it over on Temporary Hit Points, um, reviewing all the different character sheets and and apps I could find at the time uh, for 4th edition players. Um, And it basically came down to two things, I think, for character sheets that by far are better than than everything else. Uh, One of them was iPlay4E, which we've already talked a little bit about, and the other one was i4E. Um, And where iPlay4E is great for... um, integrating your DDI account. So, you know, you, you pull up a power and then you can look at the compendium entry for that power. You know, so there's never any question about what it does. You, you don't have to look it up. It's right there and built in. Uh, I4E wins on customization because it'll import your, your DDI character builder file um, and usually you have to go through and, and, and double check and make sure it didn't mess up a few things. But, but you import it, make sure it's good, and then if, you know... If you need to tweak something or change something or customize something or you get something new but you don't want to go through the process of you know uh, updating the whole thing or whatever, you can just change the file right there built in with with i four e and so it uh, it's pretty slick and and i th- I feel like it's it, it looks better than i play four e you know if if you're into aesthetics at all it has it has a better look and feel to it uh, it feels more Dungeons and dragons to me sounds so. cool. So I, I really like using i4e. It, uh, it's a universal app, so if you're using the an iPod Touch or a phone, um, it works. Also, um, my experience was was even better with the iPad, though, of course, because you got the full screen and the big you know big stuff, easy to see. Uh, so that's what I've used as a player. Um, as a 
DM, I've got a whole bunch of stuff that I use. Uh, to organize and track my stuff, we use Epic Words, um, which is sort of a competitor with Obsidian Portal, I guess. Um, they both sort of have become very similar sites, but they came, both came at it from very different directions, right? Obsidian Portal started off as, we're going to create a place where you can create game wikis and then sort of built other stuff around it from there. Uh, whereas Epic Words was, we're going to build a place where you can create use a, a blog format to keep campaign journals and then built all this other stuff around it from there. And they both ended up being more or less offering many of the same services. Um, Epic Words, I don't feel like is better than Obsidian Portal, but it's what my players ended up using. You know, when when I was trying to get them to use this or that or whatever so that we could keep track of things, we had a wiki for a while. We had a, uh, we, we tried Obsidian Portal. We had uh, an email list. We did all these things. But ultimately, um, we, after trying all these things, Epic Words is where they actually ended up going and checking regularly and participating. So ultimately, with any of these, these organization systems, wherever your players are going to actually go and use is the best one. Definitely. Uh, the one, the places where we hang out the most in Epic Words is simply the forums, which, I mean, a lot of things offer forums, and the, um, the calendar. You know, it's really nice to be able to say, because we don't play every week. We play every other week, and sometimes, you know, we're adults and things come up and we have to re- move things around or whatever. So, so if you want to know whether we're gaming, you go to the calendar and you can RSVP there. So I, as the DM and the host, you know, I hold that at my house. I know how many people are going to be showing up. So how many chairs I need to have or what we need to take care of in terms of parking out in front of the house and all that kind of stuff. It's pretty, pretty nice to, to be able to have that information through the calendar um, system there. And then we also use the wiki a little bit there and, and the journaling parts a little bit. And, uh, and it has a, a loot tracking system. So one of my players who's in charge of all the loot, whenever I, I hand out treasure or whatever, he writes it all down and then goes home that night and puts it into the into the loot system on the site and then they start de- debating and discussing who's going to get what in the forums and then they you can divvy it out to the individual players. It, it's pretty, work, all works pretty slick. Cool. And, and, a, and a paid subscription to it is only $12 a year. It's a dollar a month. And, nice. and the free version does most of the stuff you want anyway, so... But I mean, we've even used it for for some playtesting stuff because we can we can discuss and we can put up documents and we can do all those kinds of things right there because you can make it all private so other people can't see it and it's safe to do that. Sounds like a good tool. Yeah, I like it. Uh, next on my list is something I have for iOS. Um, I'm a Apple gadget person, um, so I got and I actually got I got a, a free review copy of this to be up front with people. It is called DMDJ. Um, I wrote a review of, of it somewhere. Was it RPG Musings, maybe? Uh, and I had some some issues with it at the time. Uh, it has gone through a fairly significant update since then and resolved a lot of the, the concerns I had there. I'm, I'm, I used it for a few sessions, then we kind of got sick of it, and then I stopped using it, and now I'm starting to use it again. And I should explain. What DMD DJ is, is it is a sound effects slash uh, music app designed for gaming. So I open up DMDJ, I plug in my speakers to my phone um, or iPad or whatever I'm using. I usually use my phone for the music. Um, and then I can say, okay, I want to – we are in a volcano, and there's a little volcano button I can push, and it says, okay, this is our setting. And then it just sort of creates this background noise. 
emulating what it would be like to be inside of a volcano. And then you can change the intensity. This is low intensity, medium intensity, and high intensity. And when it gets high intensity, suddenly you know, there's more explosions and things going off. And it can sort of, and it's not a loop of sounds. It uses an algorithm, so it's never just repeats of the same thing. Slick. So it's it's pretty cool. Um, it is fairly limited on the options you have right now, which is something you know they're continuing to work on and add to and whatever. Uh, but then it also has a music section where you can say, you know, I want uh, fantasy epic music or fantasy ambiance or whatever. And you can pick individual songs. And one of, in, in the new update, one of the things you can also do is just say, I want fantasy epic and shuffle. Just shuffle through all the different songs. Because one of the things I found is when you just pick songs is that it got really loop, it got really loopy and repetitive um, to the point that people would start to get sick of it. Um, and so, you know, every round of combat, I'd have to go through it and go through the app again and change it to something else. And that was distracting. Um, having it automatically shuffle is awesome. Um, something I haven't played with it with the new update that they have with it as well is you can actually import from your own iTunes library. Um, so if you've got a bunch of music you want to use and mix it in with their music and then automatically shuffle through it, that there's a way of doing that as well. You know, and then meanwhile, when the demon is summoned, you can still go into the sound effects section, hit the button, and there's a demonic laugh. Ha, 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 ha. <laughs> nice. So it, it's, it's, it's pretty slick, and, and I'm using it again more and more, and I feel like it's moving in good directions. But you do have to watch that it's not getting uh, annoying in, when it gets, starts to loop over and over again. So have you found – do you usually use sound effects? And Well, I'm thinking more music in particular. Do you Before you had DM DJ, did you use music in, in your DMing sessions? Uh, I toyed with music every now and then. Uh, the trick is that I don't want to work hard for music. I want to be able to, <laughs> right. I want to, be able to set yeah. something up and hit play and then ignore it for the rest of the night and just have that ambiance. Um, mm-hmm. So there's a few different ways that I did that. Um, I used Pandora for a while. I put the Pandora app on my phone, plugged into the speakers and just hit you – know, I started a, a, a D&D uh, – station on Pandora and then just let it go. Um, mm-hmm. Although even oddly enough, even then it got repetitive. Like we heard the same song three times on, <laughs> on, on that station. Um, some of the songs are distinct, d- decidedly not D and D appropriate. You know, there's like an instrumental uh, Bon Jovi song or something. It's like, well, that's not really putting us in the mood. Um, and then you also get the interruptions with the commercials. And so, mm-hmm. Pandora was was okay. I didn't pay anything for it. it you know, it did fine for what it was. Um, I tried making playlists of my own stuff, but I just don't own a lot of music. Um, I'm slowly trying to build my uh, my D and D appropriate music, but it's hard to justify spending fifteen bucks for a, a CD or whatever that I'm only going to use for gaming. Yeah. You know? um, yeah. You know, I, I the reason I ask is I've only ever tried music once, and it was last summer at D and D encounters, and it was the uh, the, the dark legacy of Ever or Ivard, however you say it. Uh, so it was very creepy, and mm-hmm. it was the uh, Shadowfell themed one. Mm-hmm. And there was a, a session where I was running at my local store, and, and they had uh, a graveyard scene where they were going to be fighting some undead creatures. And so I got, uh, I, I bought a, a, sound, a track from a, a group called Sonic Legends. I think they had it on RPG uh-huh. now. I was going to mention them. Yeah. Okay. Well, there you go. And you know, it, it, I liked the track. It was good, and the looping worked just fine. But I found that somehow, maybe just because we were at the store and there was already a lot of background noise, that it was just a little much. It was too much for my particular sure. game. Um, it became hard to hear one another. You know, if I had so, it too sometimes loud. that's an issue. Sometimes it does get to be yeah. a little bit much, and my brain starts to get full, and I just want to turn it off and have a little little background silence. You know, right? Um, you know, and Sonic Legends is a great source for these things. I find Sonic Legends to be a little pricier than again I, I'm willing to spend. 
because yeah, they're, you, they're you, not cheap. You buy one track, and and they're good tracks, and they're you know. 10, 15 minutes long or whatever, a nice length for using for uh, background music for a game. Um, but you're also spending like three to five bucks or whatever for, for one track. Right. You know, and when I'm used to paying a dollar or a dollar 20 or whatever on iTunes, it's hard to, to force myself to do that for, again, something I'm only using for a game. Yeah. Yeah. Um, a similar tool that I've wanted to use, but I haven't yet is the soft rope at soft rope.net. Um, and I don't. It's not quite the same as I think that you're talking about with um, fantasy music and stuff. But it's for sound effects, so you can do rain along with thunder and birds and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Which which DMDJ does a really nice job of handling. You know, you can just say I'm in the forest and I want nice. me- medium intensity, and it'll just automatically add in a few birds here and there. And it's not a loop, you know, like you would get from sound effects. It's just algorithmically put in at random places and and there's a rainstorm one you know th- those are done really well it's the the lack of variety of dungeon environments that that i struggle with. you know there's a couple of good dungeon environments right but, but you know what over the course of a campaign i go into more than two or three dungeons <laughs> and they shouldn't all sound the same what <laughs> so but i think that's that's something they're working on you know that they're they're still building their library uh next on my list is 4e turn tracker uh, 4e Turn Tracker is the app that I use to track my, my initiative and you know my monster's powers and all that kind of stuff. Uh, and it is pretty fantastic. And it is cross-platform available. It is available Windows, Mac, and I believe uh, even Linux. Um, and it, it, I struggled to sort of get to understand it and, and learn it for a while, but once I understood it, it was really easy to use. Uh, and it is, it is literally as simple as I look up the monster in the compendium, I highlight the text, copy, and then paste it into the, the monster import section, and it automatically just sort of knows what to do with it in that formatting and where to put it and to make it look like a monster stat block. Um, you can do the same thing importing monsters you've created in the adventure builder or in the adventure tools, the monster builder. Um, it tracks all the initiative for you. Um, it, I use it to track hit points. Now, Tracy, you mentioned that you've struggled with these kinds of things in the past in terms of conditions. Yeah. I also struggle with conditions in this app as well as anything else. Uh, but it tracks everything else with me so well, I continue to use it. So I essentially, as I'm using it, I keep a piece of scratch paper next to me, and I just track conditions there. Plus, we're using the, the Aaliyah Tools magnets underneath, mm-hmm. underneath creatures. And so... There's always that sort of constant visual reminder that that, that creature has some sort of condition on it. Right. Fun. So. Yeah, I think condition tracking in 4E is, is definitely a tricky one. And like for me, I, I, like I said, I use Map Tool, of course, and I have built in macros for it. And those work pretty well. But um, without going to all the trouble of building something really, you know, it's super in-depth and sophisticated, it's tough to do. Because even with these, these tools that are just devoted to tracking combat... There's so many conditions to choose from and so many different durations they could have that mm-hmm. I think it's hard for them to make it easy for the DM to say, here's the character that's getting the condition, here's the name of the condition, here's when it ends, yeah. and, uh, and have that be easy to enter and easy to you know either remove automatically or, or let you remove it manually when it ends. Yeah, it is a bit of a pain. to In, in the normal sort of encounter uh, tracking window, it, there's not an easy way to track conditions you can double click on a monster and then add a condition and then when it's gone you double click on the monster again and then take the and it's, it's a lot of extra clicking then i'd rather just move on to the next round so i, yeah. just, I usually i just that's my tip that's my advice is just keep a piece of scratch paper next to you to track conditions um <laughs> track it on the map and between those two things you should be good to go yeah 
Good advice. But otherwise, 4E Turn Tracker is everything I want in a in a combat encounter tracking system. You know, you can put in your, your PC stats. Um, I usually don't bother to track player hit points and stuff there, but you can. It's really simple to track monsters' hit points and stuff. There's just a little field in, in the toolbar at the top where you type in a number and then hit the damage button, and it automatically applies that damage to whatever monster you've got highlighted. Um, you know, you can do the same thing with healing. You just hit the, the heal button instead of the damage button. You know, to, to use a power, you just click on the power, and then it grays out as, as used. You want to recharge it, you click on it again, it comes back. So I can keep track of which monsters have used which powers and all that kind of stuff really really slick and easy. Um, I still combine it with my uh, initiative cards over the DM screen to track initiative. Because as much as it's nice for me to have the initiative there on the screen in front of me, uh, it's also nice for the players to be able to see it and know who's coming up next and be, be prepared for it. So that's another tip I have for using it. All right, then the last digital tool on my list is the Forgotten Realms Wiki. I have been running a 1 to 30 Forgotten Realms campaign. Uh, we started first level about four weeks after 4th edition came out, and we're finishing it on this week, Saturday. So we have explored a lot of the Forgotten Realms, and whenever I wasn't sure or needed a refresher or an update or whatever, the Forgotten Realms Wiki website is a fantastic place to go to get information and inspiration and ideas uh, for what you're going to do in the Forgotten Realms game. And it's been a huge part of my uh, my workflow when I'm prepping for a game. You know, uh, just this week as, as I'm preparing for this weekend's game, I'm like, well, I need to stat out Bane the god Bane and there's obviously no stats for Bane so I need to figure out what I'm going to do with the stats for Bane so I looked him up on the FR wiki I said oh that's the kind of weapon he uses this is you know what he's known for and this is the kind of things he does and this is how he's been depicted in the past and, and his you know the fights he's been in that kind of stuff great now I've got all this information I can turn that into design um, for my monster cool alright very nice and I think we had a few things we wanted to mention even if they weren't part of our regular workflows mm-hmm um, Tracy and I, and I think you as well, Michael, independently of us, uh, mm-hmm. got, got review copies of DM Minion and Player Minion mm-hmm. uh, recently. And I don't think any of us has ne- necessarily had enough time to really play with it and, and check it out and see how what we like and what we don't like about it and all that kind of stuff. DM Minion is, a, is an encounter tracking program. It's, they're both iOS, uh, although they have Android versions as well, I believe, um, if I'm remembering what they told me. Uh, but we, we, I have the iOS version. Um, and so DM Minion is you know tracking your monsters and doing all the stuff that I just talked about for for Return Tracker. Um, my initial assessment using playing around with it once or twice was um, there was a lot of stuff I hadn't quite figured out how to do. But for Return Tracker took me about two or three sessions to really figure out how to get it and, and use it. Any also so uh, sometimes it just takes a little while to learn these things. So I'm not willing to say I don't like it. I'm willing to say that I don't know it very well yet. Yep, same here. And Player Minion is their version of sort of the character sheet, um, and I've, I have the same assessment there. It's just all, I haven't, I've, I've, bar- I've looked at it a little bit, I've played with it a little bit. Um, I've, yeah, I think I imported a character just to see what it was like, um, and that's about all I've done. Cool. Uh, for me, uh, I've been getting into Google Hangouts a little bit. I haven't really played a game through it yet, uh, but one of the big tools that a lot of the a lot of people are talking about, all the cool kids, is Tabletop Forge. Which is a a plugin for Google Hangouts where you can have the shared map and some tokens and and stuff like that. So it's sort of map tools built into Google Hangouts. I think so. I think that's a good way to put it. Okay. Slick. 
Uh, the other one I'd mentioned that I don't know too much about yet, but I've only played it a little, but I'm kind of interested in, is uh, Roll20, which is Roll20.net. They did a Kickstarter, I think, that closed a month or two ago, sometime in maybe late May, I think. Um, that is similar to MapTool. It's another virtual tabletop, but it's all in the browser, um, which is nice because MapTool, you do have to deal with somebody has to host and set up the whole IP forwarding. Mm-hmm. Roll20, don't have to worry about that. And uh, and frankly, I'm kind of interested in it because it has some interesting support for playing cards built into it. And uh, and I'm, I'm developing a card game right now that I think, hey, maybe I could play it online with Roll20. Oh, cool. So if you have car- games that involve cards with your role-playing, you know, that's, that's another feature that it has built in. Awesome. And the last one that I have to mention, because if I don't, if we do a digital tools episode and I don't mention this app, people will, <laughs> people will yell at me and complain. Even though we did a whole episode just about this app. I tested it out. I played with it. It is not a Mac app, and so I don't use it regularly. Uh, but Master Plan, by all accounts, including my own limited experience with it, testing it out for an episode, is an absolutely fantastic digital tool that, that people should and could use. Yeah, I had a very limited amount of experience with Master Plan when I first started getting into D&D 4E. And uh, at that time, you could do the whole thing where you downloaded the entire compendium to it. And, mm-hmm. and then that functionality went away. And so I just haven't picked it up since then. But the little bit that I played with it, it seemed like it was a really cool tool. Yeah. No, the other day I was talking about uh, my struggles in building a monster or something. Uh, oh, because I couldn't, for whatever reason, um, the DDI tools wouldn't load for me. I was having issues with, I think, uh, the Silverlight. And somebody's like, well, you know, if you had Mr. Master Plan, you could just build the monster right in there. It's like, well, you know what? I love Master Plan, but I am not installing Windows on my Mac just to, to run Master Plan. <laughs> Again, I did once. All right, any other uh, mentions that we should that we should bring up? I'm all set. Then that's the episode. I want to say, no, Tracy wants to say. <laughs> I want to say thank you to our sponsor, Continue Magazine, and to our guest, Michael. Michael, where can people find you on the internet? Oh, we lost Michael. We can't find Michael on the internet. (laughs) Michael is not on the internet. He's no longer the online DM. He's the offline DM. Yeah, he is. (laughs) (laughs) So we just lost Michael as we were saying thank you to him. Uh, So... Michael, who's no longer the online DM, apparently. It's Michael, the offline DM tonight, uh, at least for the last two minutes or so of the episode. If people want to find Michael, uh, you can go to onlinedungeonmaster.com. That is his website, and he can be found on Twitter at uh, onlinedm1 is his username there. Other than that, you can also get a hold of us. Contact us at thetomeshow at gmail.com. Call the Tomes Bizline at 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. Uh, and swing by the website and look at the show notes at thetomeshow.com. And that is episode 199, where we learned the Electronica Tango and how to get all digital with it, as we looked at the use of digital tools in our games in this episode of... I'm on the wall.